Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 2. We'll start reading in chapter 1, verse 9. Hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took up... She took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord." And he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. 
For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Samuel reveals to us God's patience with his people. God is far more patient with his church than we are. As we go through the the book of Samuel, we will see a great deal about sin and repentance. We will learn from Samuel and from Saul and David about what a king ought to be and what he ought not to be. We will see the faithfulness of God from age to age as we see our Lord Jesus Christ revealed in these pages. We heard last time of Hannah and her vow. Her husband, Elkanah, had two wives, Panina, who had many children, and Hannah, who was barren. Panina provoked Hannah and sought to irritate her. It's hard enough to be barren, but just imagine that your husband is also married to another woman who has no difficulty getting pregnant. Ouch. And Panina is not satisfied with having lots of children. She also provokes Hannah and seeks to irritate her. And so in her distress and sorrow, Hannah comes to the tabernacle. Long before Solomon builds the temple in the book of Kings, God was drawing his people toward himself. Solomon would ask that God would hear the prayers made toward that place. Well, Hannah's doing that before Solomon ever said those words. She prays, she comes to the tabernacle to pray. She, the faithful would come to the house of the Lord to, to pray and to make their vows before him. We saw when we, went, when we went through the book of Leviticus how God showed Israel a picture of how truth, goodness, and beauty could be restored at the tabernacle. And here at the beginning of 1 Samuel, we will see two opposed visions of what happened. We'll see next time how Eli's sons turn to perversity and lust. But we see first how Hannah, with the eyes of faith, sees that the sanctuary is indeed the place where wombs are renewed. When Samuel was born, Hannah waited until the child was weaned, and then she brought him to the priest, to Eli, at the tabernacle. What did it take? for a mother who desired above all things to give birth to a child, to now leave that firstborn behind. What did it cost Hannah to fulfill her vow? She had longed to bring a son into the world, and having done so, she now will hand that son over to another to be reared and to to live his life far from home. Why did Hannah do this? Because she had put to death the desires of the flesh. She was learning to walk by the Spirit. Her desire to be a mother 
played second fiddle to her desire to see the glory of the kingdom of God. We mentioned last time that it would be many centuries later that the priest Zechariah was offering incense at the temple when his barren wife conceived and bore a son. John would be the one to baptize Jesus, just like Samuel was the one who anointed David. And that's why in the Gospel of Luke, the Song of Zechariah and the Song of Mary both have lots of echoes of Hannah's song. Because it is at the temple where humanity once again can ascend the hill of the Lord in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is both the Son of David and the Son of God. So, not only was Hannah a faithful woman who vowed what is pleasing to the Lord, but Hannah was also, in this moment, a prophetess. There in the tabernacle, as she delivers her son to Eli, she spoke forth the word of the Lord in her song. Now, not only is her song recorded here, but her song continues to bear fruit throughout the scriptures. We sang Psalm 113 earlier, which takes sections of Hannah's song verbatim over into Psalm 113. Several other psalms will echo Hannah's song. The basic theme of the song is the coming of the kingdom of God. Now it's worth noting that Samuel begins with Hannah's song in anticipation of the coming of the kingdom. The book of Samuel will end with David's song, rejoicing that the kingdom has come. Now, it's worth noting as, as Hannah sings this song, she's, she's about to say goodbye to her son. She's, you know, she'll, she'll come back every year and she'll see him. But in terms of her day-to-day life, she's now leaving. You might think that this song would be a lament over what she's losing. Did you hear any tone of lament in her song? Undoubtedly, there was sorrow at that parting. But in her song, she sees God's faithfulness to her in giving her a son is not just a personal benefit for her. Hannah, unlike pretty much all the rest of us, realizes that the universe is not oriented around her. Her vow was not simply about herself. In its most basic form, Hannah's song recognizes that God's faithfulness to her, the barren woman, means that God will be faithful to barren Israel. That salvation will come even in and through the afflictions and sorrows that we endure. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Now, this language of the horn, this is, a, this is language that, that David often uses in the Psalms to speak of his power, his strength. And here Hannah is speaking of her power, her strength, is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. The birth 
of Hannah's son means that she may deride her enemies. Now, no, she's not deriding Penina in particular. She's deriding the enemies of Israel because the birth of Samuel signals the coming of the kingdom of God. But it's worth noting, when Penina mocked Hannah, when Penina provoked her in order to irritate her, Penina was acting like an enemy of Israel. Because if all the wombs of Israel are closed, then God's promises to Israel would be at an end. And as it turns out, if Hannah never bears a son, how are we going to get David? God's purposes for history would be thwarted. And as we saw this morning, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so be careful of how you speak of one another. Be careful of, of how you provoke one another. Because when we speak harmful words to one another or about one another, we are tearing down what God has built up. Jesus warns that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And I don't say that lightly, because I realize James says that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So therefore, if I'm, there's one finger pointing at you, the rest are pointing back at me. And this is why we need to speak charitably to one another and about one another. Because when we provoke each other, when we speak with suspicion and fear, we are joining our voices to the voices of God's enemies. If we're not careful, we become the voice of the accuser. That's why Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter had joined his voice to the accuser. He had become, in that moment, the enemy of Jesus. And so Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, the accuser. But Hannah rejoices in the Lord's salvation. She sees in the birth of her son a picture of that salvation. And particularly, since she has lent him to the Lord, since he is devoted to the service of the tabernacle, she knows that he is a minister of that salvation. And so in verse 2, she focuses on the Lord of salvation. She focuses on who the one is who saves. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Salvation is from the Lord, and there is none holy like the Lord. We saw all through the Leviticus series that the holiness of God is not just that which makes him different from us. If the holiness of God was that which made him different from us, then he never would have said, be holy as I am holy. Holiness is one of God's communicable attributes. That means that He communicates it to us. It's one of the things that God, about one, thing, one of the things about God that He made us to be like. And His holiness impels Him to draw near to us and draw us near to Himself. That's the whole point of Leviticus. And if you wonder, really? Talk to me if there's a whole series on Leviticus. But notice what it means to Hannah for the Lord to be holy. There's two things. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. 
one aspect is the uniqueness of God. There is none besides Him. He is God, we are not. He is God, nothing else is. He is God. But the other aspect is that God is our rock. If the holiness of God was that which kept Him distant from us, then He could not protect us. But our God draws near and He welcomes us. He draws us near to Himself that we might seek refuge with Him. That's, that's what Hannah did. We saw that last time when she came to the temple. Now remember, there's, there's no temple yet, but our text calls it the temple because the tabernacle is the temple and our, our author is calling us to see with the eyes of faith what God has promised He will do. So when she came to the tabernacle to pray, she vowed to give her firstborn son to the Lord. She recognized God's holiness, took refuge in Him, and acted accordingly. You see, when we take refuge in the Lord, we're not just saying, gimme, gimme, gimme what I want. We're saying, we take refuge in Him saying, I want what you want. I want your kingdom to come and so I'm taking refuge in you because you are the one who is my shield and protector. And so she says to her enemies, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. This is why I say Panina, perhaps inadvertently, joined herself to God's enemies. She had spoken proudly. She let arrogance come from her mouth in provoking Hannah, seeking to irritate her. When we speak in pride and arrogance, we are speaking as Christians. That's not the way Christians are supposed to speak. We saw this in Philippians too, when Paul speaks of having the mind of Christ and the importance of setting the interests of others ahead of our own. Because the Lord is a God of knowledge. He is a God who knows, a God who sees, and by Him actions are weighed. God is a just judge. And as a just judge, He weighs the words and deeds of all mankind. And that's where Hannah turns in her second stanza in verses 4 through 8, as she speaks of the ups and downs of life as being from the Lord. And in verses 4 and 5, she she speaks of the reversal of ordinary expectations. She herself has experienced this as a barren woman who has given birth. But she starts with two other illustrations. Verse 4, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. In the contest between the mighty and the feeble, who would you choose? You got you got a, one big strong guy and you got another little wimpy guy. Who's going to win? By the way, this, this story will happen later in the book. It's called David and Goliath. Hannah is telling the story in advance. We'll hear later that regarding David and his brothers that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is something we need to keep. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. 
when you look at those who are full versus those who are hungry, you're going to, oh, well, the hungry, they're, they're, in, they're in for trouble. You know, those who are full, they've got a good life coming. How often do you hear people saying, if things continue at the present rate, and there's always some doom and gloom scenario coming down the, coming down the pike. Well, that's the one thing we know won't happen. Things almost never continue indefinitely at the present rate. Now, it may go faster, it may go slower, it may head in a totally different direction, but the one thing that almost never happens is that things remain the same. And her final example is, well, look at me. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Okay, fine. Hannah only had one child at this point. But even as Elkanah had referred to himself as being better than ten sons, so now Hannah refers to Samuel as being the equivalent of seven. The number seven is the number of completeness. The barren will be complete. She who has many children is forlorn. When the, the Paninas of the world mock the Hannahs of the world, you can expect a reversal of fortune because things never stay the same. And indeed, here, at first in verses 4 and 5, Hannah speaks in generalities. But then in verses 6 to 8, she turns to, and who's the one doing all this? Well, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Life and death are in the hand of the Lord. I know, that's, that's hard to hear. Why did my mother die when she was so young? Why did my child die before birth? We don't understand these reasons. Hannah doesn't understand God's reasons in her own case. She never lives to see all of what God is doing in this story. But Hannah points out that these things go together. If you want to say that the Lord brings life, then you need to recognize that the Lord kills. If you want to say the Lord raises up, then you need to say that he also brings down to Sheol. And she points to other situations as well. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Now, certainly God uses means. Hannah is not saying that our efforts don't matter. Uh, her own vow in chapter 1 played a significant role in God's providential dealings with her. We are told in chapter 1 verse 19 that the Lord remembered her. What does it mean, the Lord remembered her? Well, The Lord heard her vow. He remembered her. Do you really believe that prayer matters? Do you really believe that vows matter? In our day, we kind of throw vows off to the side and be like, ah, vows, what are vows? But it is actually not surprising to me that it was shortly after I took the vow saying I will not pursue a woman until the people who know me best say this is a good idea that I met Virginia. I'm not sure I, w- I mean, 
obviously providence of God, things happen, but that was actually a really important thing in my life that I had to say, I need to pay attention to what God's telling me about this. And that's where vows play an important role in the Christian life. The Lord remembered Hannah because she took refuge in him at his holy temple. She vowed to him and he remembered her. This is not a fatalistic view of God. She is saying prayer matters. The Lord is the one to whom you should go when you are in trouble because he's the one person who can actually do something about your situation. He makes poor. He makes rich. He brings low. He exalts. But if that's where we stopped, then this would sound very much like a dualistic sort of Maybe even like the Chinese conception of yin and yang. But in verse 8, Hannah switches from these contrasts to say something about God's character. Because death and life are not equal to God. Riches and poverty are not immaterial to Him. There is a trajectory to God's dealings with humanity. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Notice here, there's nothing about casting anyone down. It's rather bringing up those who are poor and afflicted to the status of, you might say, the, the, the righteous who are princes and now the poor and afflicted are raised up to the same status as those because God formed Adam of dust from the ground when Adam sinned God told him that he would return to the dust and now Hannah says that God raises the poor from the dust he lifts the needy from the ash heap they don't replace the princes they are joined to the princes. They inherit a seat of honor because they are joined as fellow heirs with our Lord Jesus Christ. They are joined to Jesus in his inheritance. God's purpose for humanity breaks out of our social classes and polarizations. In God's eyes, it's not rich versus poor, powerful versus weak. God's purpose is to break down these divisions because in Christ there is not Jew versus Gentile, slave versus free, male and female, but all are one in Christ. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Now, if you're like me, you first read that and you're like, what? How does that connect to anything? It sounds like he just made a big leap or she just made a big leap to how God created the world. Yes, that's right. That's what she's doing. So what does this have to do with raising the poor from the dust? God made this world. That's, that's not just a scientific statement. It's also a statement about economics and sociology and politics. The pillars of the earth refer to those foundational things that everything else rests upon. God really did make this world. His foundational principles, His laws, His word cannot be ignored without running afoul of the God who made them. 
And the final stanza speaks of the faithful guarded, the adversary is broken, the Messiah exalted. Here's how those basic principles work out. Because he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. These are the, the chasid, as we, we've seen in the Psalms. This is sometimes translated saints or godly ones. But the chasid are those who are characterized by chesed, steadfast love. The Lord guards the feet of the chasid. And the wicked cannot do anything to prevent this because strength, power, might is not the final arbiter. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. When you are tempted to think that the wicked are going to prevail, remember Hannah. Remember Hannah standing at the tabernacle with this little boy beside her. Now, in Hannah's day, the empires of the world are crumbling. The Bronze Age collapse is well underway. The Hittites, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Trojans, all have crumbled into decrepitude. There are no mighty nations in her day. They're all falling flat. And Israel, no better, divided and weak. There's no king in Israel. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And yet, Hannah sees with the eyes of faith, all this is going to change. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. What king? There is no king. There was no king in Israel. Everyone does what's right in his own. Hannah says, no, the Lord will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed, of his Messiah. Her son is the one who will anoint that one. Now, it'll take two, two tries, because he'll first anoint Saul, and that doesn't go so well. But then he'll anoint David. She sings of how God will exalt the horn of his Messiah, his anointed one, because whether she, whatever she understands in terms of the details, which is probably not very much, she knows where the story is going. The reason why she gives her child to the service of the temple is because she believes that here at the holy place, God is restoring humanity. And her evidence was found in her own womb as the barren woman gave birth to a son. She's seen this. Life from the dead has already begun in herself. This is why Mary's song in Luke 1 echoes Hannah's song. She sings of how God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Why does Mary incorporate Hannah's song into her own? Where, where does Mary sing her song? It's at Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth is the true Hannah, the barren woman whose child, John, signals the coming of the kingdom. John is the one who will do, who, he plays, you might say, he plays Samuel to Mary's son, David, Jesus. But if Elizabeth is the true Hannah, then who is Mary? If Elizabeth is the barren woman who gives birth to a son, then 
Mary is not just a, a symbol. She's not just a pointer. She's not just a sign pointing to something else. In Mary, the reality has come. All the barren women of the Old Testament, even Elizabeth, could only give birth to those who would point forward to another. But it was only when not just a barren woman who, for whom birth is uh, apparently impossible, apparently at least difficult. But the virgin, the virgin cannot conceive. The virgin has no chance of conceiving. But the virgin will conceive and bear a son because the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. And it's in the womb of the Virgin Mary that God sends Emmanuel. Every time God opened a womb throughout the scriptures, every time, any time a barren woman bore a child, that was a reminder that in the womb of Mary, God sent Emmanuel. Now, sisters, remember this, because... That didn't just sort of somehow end and become irrelevant after the birth of Jesus. You have the inestimable privilege of reflecting this biological historical fact. Whether your particular womb is ever opened isn't the point. And if so, however many times it may be, your reproductive potential is a symbol of this great salvation. Every time God opens a womb, it is a gift as he shows us and reminds us of what he did when he opened the virgin's womb and sent his only begotten son into our world. Before Mary, everybody was point. all the women who had given birth were pointing forward to that. Ever after, we're pointing back to that. It's, it's worth saying out loud because sometimes we're in such a hurry to say, oh, you know, Roman Catholics get Mary wrong, which they do, that we then wind up not honoring her the way that Scripture says we should. After all, she says, all generations will call me blessed. So we, we'd better do that. And that's, that's why you know, we do, actually, Every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening, when we confess the creed, we are remembering and honoring and blessing Mary. And we should do that, because truly, that is what the Song of Hannah is saying we should do. So, let us give thanks to God. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do give thanks to you for your great love and mercy to us. We thank you that you sent forth your Son, who was born of the Virgin, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, dead, and buried, who through his own descent into hell and through his own triumph over death in his resurrection has defeated the powers of sin and death and the devil. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would have mercy upon us for Jesus' sake, that you would help us by, by your Holy Spirit and renew us and refresh us by your grace. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy upon us in, in our several callings as we walk before you, that you would help us in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in, our, in each place where we find ourselves. Help us, Lord, to show forth the love of Christ, that we might, that we might humble ourselves before your mighty hand and seek first the kingdom of your Son. 
And Father, we pray that you would do this in, in, in our own lives, in our own community. We ask, Lord, for those who, who suffer and are, are grieving, we pray especially for Elijah and Joel as they grieve the loss of their little one. Lord, have mercy and sustain them. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would have mercy upon those who are also grieving the losses of loved ones at a, at a distance, that you would, that you would comfort them and, and grant to them your peace. Be with those, O oh Lord, who endure physical tr- trials and, and ailments and afflictions and sustain and comfort them. Be with those who, who suffer from emotional and mental illness, that you would help them in their, in their midst of their, their afflictions to draw near to you and trust, trust your promises in the midst of their trials. Lord, we ask that you would have mercy upon us in, in our temptation as we, are, as we face temptations of various kinds, that you would grant us the grace, as you have promised, to, to sustain us, that you would give us wisdom to draw near to you, to flee to you, our rock and our refuge. Lord, help us as we live in your presence. And Father, we pray for your church, not just in this place, but indeed throughout this, this community and throughout the world. We ask, O Lord, that you would have mercy upon all those churches in our area that that proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We we pray for Pastor Joel and his labors at Heart City. We we pray for our sister churches throughout throughout these area counties, that you would send forth your word. Indeed, Lord, in every church where your, your name is proclaimed, may your gospel go forth with great power. And even as your gospel has gone forth throughout all the nations this day, we ask that you would continue to use your word to convict and convert sinners, that those who hear your, the good news of Jesus would repent and believe that we might be built up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Lord, have mercy and, and, and be gracious that those who rule over us in, on, in, in the civil sphere would would. You would give them wisdom to do that which is right and pleasing in your sight, that we might live quiet and peaceful lives, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and holding forth the word of life unto the ends of the earth. Because you have promised that your gospel will continue to go forth with great power and your spirit will continue to do, to, to do the work that you have called him to do. And so we ask, Lord, that... that in all these situations of life, in every situation we face, may we hold fast to the kingdom of your beloved Son, for we pray this in his name. Amen.